Welcome to this week's Fit for Purpose podcast. This week, again, we're hearing from the NHS and as so many chief execs, um, a chief exec, Siobhan Melia, who leads Sussex Community NHS Trust. And of course, it's been a challenging time with COVID, but we're going to get into the much broader role that Sussex Community NHS Trust plays in its local community and also then in a sense the how some of the challenges around delivering those services the leadership and the opportunities it provides as well Siobhan brilliant to have you on the fit for purpose podcast and thank you because I know it's a massively busy time it's probably good to start with you telling us a little bit about Sussex NHS Foundation Trust the community it serves some of those health challenges you know who are the people if you like that are a big part of the health service that you provide for local people. Yes, yeah, sure. Thank you. So, so Sussex uh, Community NHS Trust is a large geographically dispersed organisation. Uh, we're, we're based across the county of Sussex, uh, ranging from the, the south coast, uh, East Sussex, West Sussex, Brighton and Hove, up into the northern kind of boundary of, of, of West Sussex, so up around the uh, Crawley, Horsham and Mid-Sussex area. Um, we employ here uh, just over five and a half thousand people now, uh, all based out into uh, local community settings. And what that means is uh, the teams that I run will be delivering clinics in, in um, outpatient settings, in community centres, GP sites, in community hospitals. The vast majority of what we do is going into people's own homes. And that I think is, is one of the unique uh, roles that a community organisation plays. Uh, we deliver most of the care in, in people's own settings. Um, and we also run a bunch of step down rehabilitation beds. So we have around 320 beds for uh, older people who are on a rehabilitation pathway. So um, quite a diverse organisation. We uh, start at, at birth in terms of the health visitors who uh, work with children and young people and their families. Um, and we go right up into the uh, end of life stages uh, and we deliver that type of care, both in the community beds, but the vast majority of that uh, palliative and end of life care is delivered by our specialist nurses in people's own homes. So, so the populations that we serve is quite an interesting patch, actually, because there are, um, you know, there are some communities across the coastal strip that have uh, various challenges around uh, demographic and socioeconomic challenges, mm -hmm. uh, places that are a little bit out on the periphery like Bognor Regis. Uh, in that particular area, uh, there's been a fairly high, uh, over periods of time, different population and Eastern European population around that geography, whereas the vast majority of the county of Sussex um, isn't particularly demographically diverse. Um, probably with the exception of, of, of that area down in, 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 in West, coastal West Sussex and also up around the Crawley area, which has much more ethnic diversity. But if you take those areas out, the, the vast majority of the rest of the county um, is, uh, is not particularly diverse in its populations. It is diverse in terms of uh, socioeconomics, as I said, and there are some particularly deprived wards in some of the coastal stretches 
also over towards the Hastings area. That, that sort of juxtaposed with the sort of central, fairly wealthy, rural uh, and historically affluent parts of the county. Um, although there are some issues we're finding with older people in terms of social isolation, fuel mm -hmm. poverty. And then finally, I guess in the middle on the coastal stretch, stretch you've got the city of Brighton and Hove, which is much more uh, diverse in terms of age range, uh, much younger population, uh, have some lifestyle factors around drug and alcohol uh, misuse in the city, and then also a big student population. Uh, so a very different sense of feeling in the city with two large universities uh, and thousands of students uh, temporarily living here. So quite a diverse and, and far ranging population that we serve. Well, I mean, it's exhausting just listening to you going through it in a way because, I mean, it really is diverse, isn't it? There's almost a bit of absolutely everything there that you need to, to cope with. And, and I guess you mentioned that socioeconomic diversity and, and some of those areas that are more deprived. How does that in practice play out in terms of people actually being able to get that sort of community health care that you provide easily? I, I think everyone... Oh, a lot of people will be familiar with the work by Michael Marmot and, and that very clear link he drew between health outcomes and issues and that social mobility aspect of people's lives. But for you, with all of your work and your trust, how does that play out on the ground? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I mean, I guess the thing about the, the, the Marmot work over the, the period of time that, that, that he's been publishing is, you know, it, it, it probably should have informed a differential approach to uh, health resource allocation. Uh, and to an extent for a period of time it did, but yeah. I think where, where, it, where it hasn't probably had the impact and I think why it's been, uh, you know, why it's re-emerged again is, as I've just described, if you looked at a macro level, the populations that we serve would not really particularly feature in uh you know in, in the top most deprived communities mm. or wards in the country so there's this kind of hidden factor that within counties that are fairly affluent or areas that are fairly affluent i think what what happens when there are particularly deprived uh, you know pockets of populations is that the allocation of uh, of health resource isn't sensitive enough to pick that up at the moment. Mm. So, so I think it not not that it is not that I would say you know my my so for example I have teams who uh, that that health visiting teams who work with um, traveller you know the travelling uh, community. I have health I have uh, homeless support teams in Brighton and Hove. Uh, I have HIV community teams who reach all all corners of uh, that HIV population. So. I think, you know, the community services absolutely have the potential to reach the people in their own communities yeah. who have the greatest need. I guess my, you know, what would better look like would be that the Marmot work translates yeah. into resource yeah. allocation that is yeah. proportionate to need. Yeah. And behind that is, a, as you're saying, a real issue on data and good data to be able to actually enable smarter decisions to be taken. But I, I want to come back to this point you made, actually, about your 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 trust is really in those communities that probably are most in need of more opportunities, more careers. And 
tell us a little bit about some of that work that you're doing around effectively getting people into work and, and where you see the import, importance of the NHS as an actual employer itself in providing careers for people and roles. Yeah, so, um, I, I mean, you know, the, the term anchor institution is, is, is used a lot at the moment, and I think we, we are not, my view is, we are not maximising the potential of, of what an NHS could be with regards to anchor institution and opportunity, ambition, social mobility. We, we have some areas of progress, say, for example, um, for, for a little while now, my organisation has had a partnership in place with um, a, a local company called Love Local Jobs. Uh, they've got a, a Dare to Dream program, which is about uh, how we influence collectively slightly disengaged year nine students to, you know, give them a bit of inspiration and ambition and a bit of insight. And, and what that means for my organisation is we provide business guides into that programme. I think we're still the only NHS organisation that does that. The majority are uh, private sector, Sussex-based um, organisations, insurance companies, American Express, etc. Yes. So, so we, you know, we, we, we are starting to think about influencing um, uh, you know, young children and young people through different routes. We've been part of the Kickstart program over the last 18 months. I think, you know, that for me, that's a bit limited because it's it's only six months, but, yes, but, yeah. but, it, but it does, you know, create a different lens for 16 to 24 year olds to experience um, the NHS. Of course, we've got, you know, apprenticeships. And again, I, I don't feel we're maximising potential in, in terms of the numbers we could be getting through. Mm -hmm. um, but certainly when I look at the type of apprenticeships my organisation has, you know, we, um, we, we, we run nurseries. Uh, we, you know, we run three three nurseries for our staff to, to, to leave the little ones in. And, you mm -hmm. know, we've got nursery nurses, registered nurses, you know, psychological well-being practitioners, you know, finance experts, accountants, pharmacists. So, you know, you, you could, you know, it is a massive potential in terms of the variety of roles and the variety of opportunities. One thing we've learned through the pandemic, and this was through our role in delivering at scale COVID vaccination centres, was mm -hmm. that if you've never been in the NHS before, entry into the NHS is not as straightforward as one might think. So we, you know, we, we've, uh, as I say, we've, at our busiest, we ran four large scale vaccination centres. To do that, we onboarded 1,600 people mm -hmm. um, at the beginning of the vaccination programme. Some of those have translated across, as of March, I think we've got 25 people um, in permanent roles at the Trust. Um, what's interesting is uh, there was somebody who came, a lot of them have come from the airline industry, uh, so they were furloughed in the airline industry, hospitality industry, gym and leisure industry, and we had someone who'd worked as a gym manager who came in to be a manager of one of our sites, who's now actually progressed into a more general manager role here mm -hmm. after mm -hmm. six months. Her reflection was she you know, as someone managing a gym over in Eastbourne, she had never heard of the NHS jobs website. She'd never seen an NHS yeah. job advertised. And, you know, when she started to look at that, she said, every job I've now looked at says that you have to have experience in the NHS to, to, to get into a role in the NHS. So we've kind of shone a mirror up actually about access, mm -hmm. uh, you know, access to roles that 
are you know values based competency based but yeah. that you know are, are have a wider permissibility about the transferable skills that people bring across so um you know i i i think that we uh, we've learned a lot from that experience more generally and the value of working with people um particularly from the airline industry who have high levels of you know human contact every day yeah absolutely you know are making reasonable and reasoned decisions you know at one point we had a, a furloughed pilot running our biggest site in brighton and and, <laughs> yeah. and that was quite remarkable the you know the approach to risk and process and human factors so i think you know we're kind of to your point earlier i think for us now it's how do we how do we take all of this ingredients together and bake a different cake? Uh, you know, not a great analogy, but you get my <laughs> point. Um, there's got to be something different that gives people opportunity, ambition, and the opportunity for social mobility through roles in the NHS. That doesn't look, you know, uh, stereotypically like things in the NHS have looked for for a long time before the pandemic. I think that's spot on, and I, I think first of all, for a lot of people going through the pandemic has just made them do a bit of a stock take on their life and and you know there's a feature in the US system called the great resignation literally loads of people thinking I'm just going to do something different but I think at the same time particularly because it was a, a health emergency almost seeing much more upfront about what the NHS does almost day to day and and I think that's particularly true if you're you know, a community um, NHS trust that is anyhow out there in the community. And, and that's a big part of what you do. And I, I think what's fascinating is, is people realising that there are so many more careers and the skills they maybe had in an entirely what they had thought were unrelated sector are completely translatable um, and, and really valued in the NHS How's it been for people already in your trust to almost see some of these new sorts of people coming through and, and actually perhaps have their own preconceptions, I guess, thinking, actually, you know, this person came in, they'd never been in the NHS, but they've been able to do this incredible role. Are you seeing a sort of different attitude internally as well? Yeah, yes. I think, you know, I think that's a really good point. I'm just reflecting on some of the conversations I had when I was out and about in the vaccination centres where, you know, our clinical lead nurse would come up to me and say, you know, it is so incredible watching the teamwork mm -hmm. from, from a bunch of people from different uh, airlines and different roles in the airline industry who turn up to shift and gel together immediately, even though they've never worked before. Uh, together and when I spoke to the airline crew they they, they just said but that's what we do we yeah. pick up to a shift in our day job and we work with the people that have pitched up to the shift so I think what some of the clinical guys are saying now is actually we probably should be able to distribute our our team our people our resource our our, our, our variety of multidisciplinary uh, clinical and non-clinical members of staff, we probably should be able to disseminate them across multiple teams rather than just creating the one team. So I think we've started to kind of bring larger teams together. And there's always a risk of that because, you know, some people do like the localism and the, mm -hmm. you know, the familiarity yeah. of working with the day-to-day. -day. But I think that we have learned that 
um, slightly at scale endeavors where you've got more resilience. Okay, you might be working with slightly different people, you know, ultimately probably get, you know, more healthcare services delivered at this point in time uh, than, than going to too small of a delivery unit with the fixed number of people. So there's definitely been an understanding of that. And I think the other thing I would say is, the, the, the amount of training that we had to do at PACE to open our first big centre in um, uh, January 2021 was quite remarkable. And I think it's given our organisation, you know, learning and development leads, HR and OD leads, clinical leads. I think it's given them confidence that, you know, we can do things differently. We can equip people with skills and competencies who have never been in our sector and we can do it safely. And I think there was a real kind of concern about clinical quality, patient safety, clinical governance uh, at the start of that. And I think because it was clinically led, well-organized, you know, uh, robust in terms of supervision and support once people were coming out the other end of those training programs, uh, I, I think that's one of the other areas that will help us to attract and hopefully bringing new talent into the NHS with the transferable skills rather than the NHS history. And indeed, they can be brilliant role models, can't they, to, to make other people externally think about the kind of career that maybe they'd never even considered before now. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, what one of the one of the guys who transferred across from from that um, gym managers role came to speak to our board um, last year. Uh, and then and the, and the board members were saying, well, how are you going to share this story? How are you going to help us to attract more uh, talent? And we started this really great conversation about you know, the role of social media and platforms that NHS organisations probably rarely use. Um, as well as LinkedIn and, and, and you know, more age-relevant age, age uh, social media routes to, you know, to, to, to raise awareness. So, um, you know, they're both role models and spokespeople and, you know, uh, communi communicators uh, that we would never have found, frankly, had we not been through the last couple of years. And I think there's definitely a sea change of people thinking more broadly about what they want to put their time into. So, so maybe this sense of, for a lot of people, it, it being a job, um, actually sort of questioning whether there's more they can get out of that. And of course, for a lot of people, you know, the chance to be part of that NHS is exactly that sort of broader impact on society, I guess, that they want to, they want to have, really. Now, I know that, you know, obviously you lead Sussex Community NHS Trust, but you're also just recently now chair of the NHS community network more broadly. So that is literally the national body that represents NHS community providers. Speaking you know, from that perspective, what's your sense of that wider opportunity for community providers like your trust on spreading equality of opportunity? We talked a little bit about careers, but, but is, there, is there a sort of bigger picture besides that? you know, that, that is on your mind around the opportunities that, that are there? Yes, th there is. I mean, it's, um, it, it, it's a great role, actually. I've really thoroughly enjoyed it for the last uh, few months. It, it is um, a real opportunity to influence uh, at, at, at national level the policy and strategy for our sector. Um, 
Is there a greater opportunity? I, I think some of this lies in a recognition that to build a, a national health service that's fit for the future, we have to deliver more and more around prevention, mm -hmm. people's own communities, yeah. um, and uh, that, that we need to proportionately invest in the services that sit outside of a traditional acute hospital yeah, which yeah, basically yeah. treats people when they're already fairly sick mm. and, and think about you know lifestyle and community intervention so so you know there are now um, some national specifications coming out with investment attached to them for the community sector from uh, uh, the Department of Health and Social Care and NHS England which you know, it has been a long time coming, but is very, very welcome because I think it does signal an understanding that the contribution uh, for people through the lens of community, communities in their broadest sense, um, wider determinants of health, education, housing, you know, the types of things that really matter to people uh, mm. and help people to stay independent and, and at home, wherever home is. I think are starting to be recognised. So part of part of the role really is taking the opportunities to um, remind national colleagues of uh, the, the, the lack of investment over time in the sector, which mm -hmm. needs to be reversed. Mm -hmm. And then I think once we start to think about some of those things, you start to think about who are the people that this creates opportunity for from an employment perspective and you know the other day we were saying do we actually need for a particular new pathway do we actually need physiotherapists or do we need health and fitness experts do we need life coaches do we need you know people with motivational skills yeah. who, who have no um you know clinical qualification so so I think it does matter that there's a national conversation about yeah. um you know ambition for a sector that has often not been at the forefront of people's minds I'm starting to see a real shift in uh ministerial understanding you know it, the national leadership team's understanding of the community sector and I think if we continue with that it creates new solutions to health and well-being and uh, physical and mental health and wider determinants of health that therefore creates different opportunities for the future workforce. I think I think it's spot on and in a sense there's just this broader perspective that, that's coming out of it and, and actually certainly for all of the work we've been doing around social mobility and through the Purpose Coalition which of course um, Sussex Community NHS Trust is part of it is bringing together that much wider community with a with a common interest and you know certainly for me as someone who, who was an MP for a long time you know a lot of the health issues that I would be dealing with for my local constituents were almost symptoms of a, a wider challenge they maybe had on housing or on crime all sorts really um, and it it was this sense that a lot of the answers on you know, the point you made at the beginning, a lot of the answers on, on improving healthcare around prevention, but, but actually seeing prevention as a much broader thing than just treating somebody upstream to much more a wider approach on care that could be all sorts of things. It could be sports. It could be, as you said, getting someone who's a bit of a life coach to, to provide the right advice. It, it's, 
it's way more than almost this standard prescription sense of the NHS that people might have had in mind for the past. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. And I think, you know, that is the sweet spot of expertise that community services have because they are out working in partnership with, you know, all of the the wider, um, you know, lo local government teams, third sector teams, um, you know, community advocates, and uh, you know, it's so so. Uh, I think I think if we can get to a place where, um, you know, as I say, there's a there's a sort of uh, investment in new ways of doing things. We've got to kind of break the cycle a bit in the NHS because you know the funding flows have been the funding yeah, flows. Yeah, absolutely. But but definitely to break the cycle and start to think differently about uh, community assets mm -hmm. and uh, creating you know opportunities through partnerships and through employment opportunities out you know in these out of hospital yeah. partnership orientated sectors. I think that would be fantastic. And presumably also a role for, for businesses and employers more generally to think about what they can do on preventative health and, and you know, health and well-being of their employees. And, and maybe, maybe a sort of steady understanding that they're on the front line as well, too. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think... Um... You know, a good, good example with, with, with Love Local Jobs, not, a, not an organisation I thought uh, an NHS trust would be collaborating with, but, mm -hmm. but, but, but both interested in their, you know, inter, internal offer as an organisation in Sussex, but really keen to draw in the uh, commercial private sector expertise of, you know, large and small businesses in the county mm -hmm. and learn from their approaches to, you know, well-being, and um, you know, supportive signposting and, and expertise for the staff, um, mm -hmm. as well as influencing you know children and young people around ambition and hope for the future. So uh, yeah, I think these partnerships between public and private sector can be really powerful. Yeah, and I think I think they do point the way forward in the sense of everyone having a role to play in delivering you know, good health and well-being for, for local communities. And obviously for the NHS, it's it's in the lead, but actually, you know, you can't do it all on your own, actually. And you do need that that wider participation of a, of a wider community. So, I mean, you, you talked about careers and obviously, I mean, you've had a, a fantastic career already, a lot further to go in it, um, recently ranked. I think this is, a, <laughs> this is a great statistic, but it's really impressive recently ranked in the top 50 NHS chief executives in the Health Service Journal. That's pretty good, you know? I mean, it's there's a lot of chief execs out there and you're right at the top of those, that listing. Were you su surprised, Siobhan, to, to sort of get into that list? And, and what do you think, what's your sense of what makes a great leader? Yeah, thank you. I, I um so this is the third year that I've been in the list so I, I was pleasantly surprised to still be in the list I think it's <laughs> yeah. probably a good description no um, pressure to keep staying there I guess it, it is it yeah. is yeah I mean the first time I I uh I made it into the list just just the year before the pandemic yeah I mean I, I was delighted I you know what's the, the I don't think that there's a kind of formulaic set of ingredients about good leadership I think you know for me uh, it's always been about authenticity, 
putting patients at the center of what we do, uh, a real big focus on teams and teamwork, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and doing my best to engage meaningfully with my staff in whatever role I've been in to, you know, stay connected to, to what's important to them and what the real issues that they're de- dealing with is. I mean, I think, you know, I, I've, I've been in this chief exec role, um, it will be six years in September, remarkably. Um, and, you know, definitely the types of things I would say now about leadership and, you know, contextualise into being a, a fairly long-standing chief exec is, you know, personal resilience, um, finding, you know, for me, uh, finding the energy to keep going and, you know, not burning out ha- has been good. I've had a good balance of exercise and, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and, and and taking holidays and not working at weekends. Actually, that's been my yeah. my golden three for the last uh, five and a half years. And and it's worked for me. So I think, you know, in roles like this, I think I think what makes a good leader is is probably, you know, insight about about yourself and probably, you know, what what makes you your most effective and and I've and I've spent a bit of time thinking about that all the way through this chief exec journey but I mean I think the last thing I would say uh, just going back to the fact that I'm in the top 50 is um I always remind myself about humility I think the the day that I expect to be in that list or uh in a different list um is the day that perhaps I've 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 refocused my priorities in the wrong direction so you know, it, it, these, you know, leadership roles are, are always tough for me, um, being authentic, uh, being connected and uh, trying to stay uh, humble in the midst of it all uh, have been have been really uh, super important. I think it's really important. And I mean, the other thing interesting about your own career is obviously, you know, you start um, in podiatry. So you have a clinical background, but actually you spend some time outside the NHS. Did you feel that 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 time you had outside almost allowed you to come back in with a bit of a fresh perspective that was really helpful and maybe just some different skills knowledge that that really enabled you to get to that next level absolutely I mean I I, um you know having been in a clinical role and then in in clinical kind of leadership and department leadership roles up to sort of associate director of adults and older people services I kind of moved from that into a business and strategy role in the NHS in, mm-hmm. in 2009. And then um, after two years of being in that role, well, early on in it, decided to do an MBA um, and um, wasn't explicitly thinking about leaving the sector, actually, but was curious about the commerciality of the, the world I was working in and, mm-hmm. and re- really enjoyed that. And so, yeah, I spent a couple of years from 2011 to 2013 in uh, a big uh, global t- telecommunications company, Telefonica, uh, working on some health technology products. What did I learn from that experience? Um, I, I learned I that um, companies that do customer relationship management really well are uh, incredibly good at gathering insights and making them actionable. And, and I hadn't seen that in the NHS at all uh, up, yeah. up, to the, up to that point in my working career. Um, I learned a lot about working in different environments in terms of, you know, my NHS career had predominantly been working around female leaders, female chief execs, uh, a higher percentage yeah. of, uh, of, of women in the health service. 
I went into a technology environment that was the vast, vast majority of it were was was working uh, with men, and that gave me, you know, some really good insights about, um, you know, how I needed to flex my leadership behaviours in different situations that I hadn't had to do in the NHS. And the last thing I would say is um, Telefonica was a company that did most of its business in partnership and therefore had a really, really strong focus and value on partnership. And and I think, you know, that was that was probably the the strongest um, insight and intelligence I brought back into the NHS at a time where although there was still a real strong uh, competition policy agenda, it was starting to shift to, towards collaboration and partnership more than competition in the NHS. Mm. So, so yeah, just a real kind of insight about, you know, the value of partnerships rather than contractual relationships, mm. customer relationship management, both for the patients and, and families that we serve, but the partners that we work with. And then, and then some insights about the um, just the different challenges of, of predominantly growing up, I guess, in my clinical and, mm -hmm. and leadership career, surrounded by female leaders and moving into an environment that was very, very male orientated for a couple of years. Um, so, so those are probably the, the three things that have stayed with me, actually. But it was a really, really valuable set of experiences yeah. for me. Yeah. And I think it just shows that you can kind of stay in one place and have a, an amazing career, but actually taking, you know, taking the chance to just go and do something different in a really different culture, perhaps really different approach can massively just change your, your mindset in a way on, on what good looks like. And that doesn't mean you're out of the other place. Actually you go back and you take all of that experience back and bring it to bear, which is fantastic. And if, if you, I mean, obviously you're right in the middle of your career, Sean, a long way to go. But I mean, even now, looking back over that journey you've had um, in the NHS mainly, but also outside, if you were giving some advice to maybe a younger Siobhan or, or someone, maybe teenager, just thinking about what to do, um, what do you think you've learned um, so far in, in the career that you've had? Well, that's a great question. And thanks for reminding me of how many more decades I have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not done yet. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I think just to your point, what, what has worked for me has been the breadth of opportunities and the different perspectives that I've gathered. So for me, you know, starting out as a frontline NHS clinician, managing a team, managing a directorate, moving into business and strategy, working at Telefonica for a couple of years, you know, coming back into the NHS in sort of partnerships and commercial roles, and then becoming a chief exec. I mean, easy to put all of that in, into one sentence, but, you know, that that is a real broad set of um, clinical, operational, leadership, strategic, commercial e expertise that I've had to, you know, develop along the way. So for me, you know, breadth and different perspectives has been in, important. Um, I mean, there's been a few times where I've really seized opportunities that mm -hmm. I've been in a dilemma about whether to put myself forward for over the years. So I would say to a young person or a young me, you know, stay open minded because, you know, the, the, you don't necessarily need to formulate path to get to where you get to. I, I you know, probably half to three quarters of the way through my career, uh, to date um I, I thought well, yeah I definitely want to be a chief executive 
But to be honest, the opportunity came to me far earlier than I was expecting. And at that point, you know, my dilemma was, do you seize the opportunity or do you let it go by and wait? And so I think you do at times need to back yourself um, and, and, and seize the opportunities that present because my, my experience tells me they invariably come at the time, you know, the day, month, year, time that, that you ideally um, would want them to be. I think um, also I mentioned personal resilience. I think knowing yourself, knowing how to stay resilient more so now than ever in leadership roles is, is a really important uh, thing to do. I've always had exercise and sport as a kind of grounding factor through through the decades, and and that stood me, you know, really really well. But everybody, I think, would need to find their thing yeah. that enables that balance. And the last thing I'd say is, you know, um, you've kind of got to be fairly adaptable to change, I think, and to kind of embrace it, particularly in public sector organisations. You know, we 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 aren't we aren't. Uh, um, we, you know, we we aren't as autonomous as one might think we are. Yeah, yeah. We'd like to be. Everybody is connected to something, right? You know, shareholders, a board, you know, government departments. Uh, you know, someone somewhere is 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 um, making decisions that impact us all. And I think, you know, I've had to kind of find a way um to live at ease with that that even as a chief exec in the nhs you're part of a much bigger thing where other people are making decisions that sometimes you have a say in and sometimes you don't and i think you just have to be adaptable to that constant change that happens around us so they they would probably be my words of wisdom if i was talking to my (laughs) (laughs) i think they're very good words of wisdom um and i can certainly relate to the last one you know and the reality is you're always operating this wider environment, aren't you? And sometimes you'll be feeling good about what it's like and sometimes you won't. And that's just the basis on which everybody, I guess, takes those decisions. But I think particularly particularly in an NHS of, of the moment, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the podcast, Siobhan. Thank you so much. Um, and also, um, thanks for being part of this broader push that we've got on social mobility, because the NHS, as we've talked about a lot, has some of those amazing careers and probably a unique ability to enable people to think again about, you know, what they might be able to do with their lives and, and help them get on with it. So Siobhan Melia of Sussex Community NHS Foundation Trust, thanks very much for being on the, on the podcast. Um, it's been absolutely fantastic. Thank you. Thank you.